How long does it take to become an overnight sensation? How much work do you need to put in until something goes viral or your audience starts to find you? And what happens when you finally break through and people want to hear from you? Our guest for this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast knows the answers to those questions. Copywriter and TikTok sensation Chloe Barnes is here to answer those questions and more. We talked about going viral on social media, dealing with haters and trolls, her not exactly strategic approach to creating content, and a lot more. So stay tuned because we think you're going to like this episode. But before we get to that interview, this podcast is sponsored by the Copywriter Think Tank. That's our mastermind for copywriters and other marketers who want to do more in their businesses, whether that's getting onto a stage, creating a new product, growing the business that you already have, creating a video channel, building an agency, anything like that. Maybe you want to just become the best known copywriter in your niche. That's the kind of thing that we help copywriters do in the Think Tank to learn more visit copywriterthinktank.com and fill out that short application. And I also need to introduce you to my guest host for this episode, copywriter and business strategist, Jill Wise. Jill has been a previous guest on the podcast. That was episode 235. She's also a former Think Tank member. She's an amazing copywriter. Uh, welcome to the show, Jill. Thank you so much for having me. Like I said, before we started recording, I was really excited to just hang out with you this morning. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, when you're talking about all the amazing things before we started recording, show, tell me all the things going on in your business. I'm like, I, I wish we had more time now. I mean, maybe I'll just come back for another episode. Yeah, let's do that. I'm pitching myself alive. You should definitely do that. I mean, since the last time we recorded, you've had a baby, your business is still growing and you're doing amazing. So yeah, you have a lot, I think to add, not just to this conversation, but maybe a future episode. I'm very excited to talk about this though, because right after you sent this over, I obviously went and found her TikTok and her Instagram and I found the viral videos and I was starting to like reverse engineer everything. I'm, I'm really excited to get into it. Awesome. Cool. Well, first let's kick off our interview with Chloe Barnes with Kira asking her how she got started as a copywriter. I actually started in digital marketing uh, for a university back when I was working in Australia and I was promoting the student exchange program for the division of business. So I, I did a student exchange when I was in uni and it was amazing. And that was my first introduction into the world of marketing something that you really believe in. And it just opened up this whole new career path for me because um, I, I originally got my degree in IT and started out as a, an advisor for a big four company and really hated it. <laughs> and so once I started in marketing, I moved to the UK and got a job in an SEO agency and realized that there was this whole other world that I just did not even know existed. And from there on, I just sort of went into various corporate jobs and found myself moving further and further away from um, copywriting, which is what I seem to always enter as. And people kept telling me I was really good at it and I loved it and I was freelancing on the side. And I thought, you know what, I, I need to just go and do this for myself because it, it was by far the favorite, my, my favorite part of the job. But the more that you work in corporate, the less you get to do. They, like they keep trying to move you into like more 
marketing roles with campaigns and things and copywriting is like such a small part of the job and I thought no no (laughs) I need to go and do this because this is what I want to be doing so yeah like two years ago I probably um just decided to take the leap and start taking on clients for myself and kind of just snowballed from there okay so I want to know where did you do your study abroad (laughs) I went to Sweden um it was yeah I I I had a couple of glasses of wine one afternoon and decided to apply for a scholarship. And I applied for two schools in America, um, in the United States. And uh, one in was just a throwaway. I was like, I don't know where. I'll just spin the map and see what happens. And Sweden was the, the third option that I chose. Do you speak Swedish? No. Nah. <laughs> so, so tell us about it. Like, tell, Yeah, share a little bit about that experience. I know this isn't really what we're talking to you about, but I'm curious. I, it, Sweden is like number one or two on my travel list right now. So, yeah, Amazing. So it's a, such a beautiful country, and I'm so glad I went there instead of the U.S. because it's just a, I would never have thought to go there, and it ended up being one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had, like, we got. It was my first time seeing snow as an Australian. We don't get a lot of it. <laughs> um, but I landed in the middle of winter and got um, a friend. Uh, they partner you with like a buddy. And it was the first time I'd been overseas, like first time being outside of Australia. I was 22 on my own and it was just totally blew my mind. Like I did the dog sleds. I went on a snowmobile, went to the Ice Hotel got to travel like on a, a cruise to Estonia and just oh, best thing ever. Yeah, sounds amazing. My, my father speaks Swedish and one of my best friends speaks Swedish uh, and have both lived in Sweden for a while. But yeah, uh, yeah, it's like I said, it's on my list. So. You have to. Yeah, you do have to go. It's a beautiful, beautiful country. And it's just ah. Oh. I've actually ended up marrying a Finn, so like in that sort of family of, of countries. Okay. So let me let me turn this into maybe just like a broader question, and then we can get back to some of the marketing and copywriting stuff. But um, just from your experience, how has travel impacted your work and the things that you do as far as just opening up those kinds of vistas and opportunities? Oh, look, travel is probably responsible for the reason why I'm a writer now, to be completely honest, because when I when I found out I was going to Sweden, I was like, well, of course, I'm going to need to start a travel blog because I'm going to be that person. And this is like back in the the blog spot and word very, very early WordPress days. And uh, so, yeah, I started a travel blog and that was what helped me get the job at the the SEO agency. And having that sort of travel blog, it was actually through um, some travel blogger friends that I got introduced to freelance copywriting and actually got a job at a content mill, don't <laughs> churning out just blog post upon blog post for these clients. Um, so without without travel, without having that like connection to writing about my experiences while I was traveling, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. I'm interested in the transition from working at these corporate jobs. And then, you know, you said you wanted to go in and do this for myself. So when you decide, okay, I'm going to go full time, like what are some of the steps, the specific steps that you took to make that transition? Yeah. So it took me much longer than I probably would have liked to actually make the leap into, into doing this for myself full time. Um, but 
I think the key for me was because I have a family, like I have, I have kids, I've got, you know, a house, I've got husband, all that. I, I needed to do it in a way that made sense for my family. And so I worked at my full-time job and freelanced on the side initially until I could start to see results from my content um, marketing. And once I started seeing organic lead generation happening through those channels, I thought, okay, I'm comfortable enough now to be able to take a step back from my full-time job and and actually go into doing this. It, it was it was less of a leap of faith and like I'm gonna make this work and more of like I've built up a, a comfortable nest. I've got this working for me. So now I can take the steps to actually leave. So but it it was a really easy transition. Like the place that I was working at was um, very, very supportive. And so by talking to them and actually working with them, I've, I've actually managed to stay on as a contractor with them. So they, they've now become like my longest client, which is really fortunate. So I've, 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 I've had a really supportive journey so far. Can we talk about that a little bit more deeply? Because I think a lot of people think, okay, I'm, I'm going to quit my job and become a copywriter. And Sometimes doing that isn't the smartest thing because, you know, you, now you've got to succeed day one or in the first month, whatever. And how, so how long did you take to transition out? And while you were doing it, how are you connecting with clients in a way that it made sense? Obviously, you're not taking on a full load because you have that at, at work. So talk about that process and then how one sort of grew, uh, well, how that freelance opportunity grew until you knew it was the right time to leave. Yeah, so I've always been... Uh, kind of a self-professed workaholic. Um, so there there was a lot of like hustle at the start. Like I'm not going to lie. It was a lot of hard work, a lot of long hours. And, you know, you sign off after your nine to five and then begins your five to nine. So it's, you know, there was a lot of that in the, in the early days. And I was very fortunate that, you know, I've got a supportive family. Like my, my son was a bit older, so it wasn't so hands-on as it was in the beginning. Um, but I think the, the key was that I was really transparent with my work about what I was doing. I was very keen, like they knew that I loved copy and I wanted to get really good at it and, and work on that full time. So I had their support in, in going and and starting my own business. And my first clients actually came through my work connections, um, purely because I was able to be transparent about that. But I think there's, there's something that is really romanticized in the freelancing world about quit your nine to five and go be this freelancer full time. And nobody talks about the fact that it doesn't necessarily happen that way that quickly. And the people who it does happen that way for, they, they might not have the responsibilities that a lot of us do have. You know, they don't have the obligations of a mortgage and, you know, kids in school needing stuff. Um, so yeah, I think the, the whole digital nomad traveling lifestyle, like work from anywhere, it's fabulous and wonderful, but it's not the reality for a lot of people. So for me, it was really important to find a way to do that. That made sense for me. And then what did your content marketing look like at the time? What were you focused on to put yourself out there and start attracting more clients? I started off like doing the the things that basically appealed to me, which was um, a lot of memes, um, a lot of like the funnier side of content. Cause I, I had always really resonated with 
humor in marketing. And that was kind of where I was specializing in. Um, but then things really started to change for me when short form video started rising in popularity and TikTok was becoming more mainstream. Um, I actually got TikTok as a, um, as a way to, I had to test it because my, my teenage daughter was asking if she could have it. And so I got it and <laughs> I was like, right, if I'm going to, if she's going to be on these apps, I need to understand what they're all about. So I downloaded it and started making a couple of videos just to see what it was like. And I ended up going viral and getting like 30,000 followers in a month. And <laughs> yeah, I know it was pretty crazy. Um, but that was for a totally unrelated, nothing to do with copywriting, nothing business related. It was just a personal account. And I thought, okay, so there's an opportunity here. <laughs> And so that's when I started creating video content for my business. And um, it, it was crickets for a while, I'm not going to lie. Um, but probably about six months into creating videos consistently, um, I had one go massively viral on Instagram um, and it got close to 6 million views. And from there, I was instantly booked out with a waiting list of clients. Um, I had you know, people asking to work with me, people offering to work for me for free. Uh, it was just madness. <laughs> okay. So this sounds like the dream for a lot. Of, I mean, I know there are a lot of people who maybe like me that it's not the dream to go, you know, wild on Instagram, but having 6 million potential clients see you showing up as an authority is definitely, you know, there's an advantage to it. But like you said, it was crickets for a while. Talk us through that, that process of how long it took to get to the point where something hit. And then, well, I have specific questions about that video, uh, you know, because there's gotta be something, you know, that, that clicks in a different way, but yeah, walk it, just go a little bit deeper on that whole process of getting yourself on TikTok as a business and, and creating that content. Yeah, I, I actually think it was brilliant for my resilience building in the early days um, because there's, I I was I knew I was doing good work. I was getting great feedback from clients and that was never the problem. And most of my work was coming through via referrals, but I, I was not unaware of the fact that I knew I was going to have to start figuring out some kind of lead generation method that did not just rely on people referring other people to me. Um, so, and I knew that like so social media has been something that I've, I've loved for years. Like say what you will about it. It's you are either a social media person or you're not. Um, and I'm, I'm definitely that kind of person. I just love the opportunities that it creates. I love the communities that you can build on there. And there's just so much that you can do with it. And so I knew that no matter what, this is where I was going all in. And so I just thought, you know what? Okay, it's, it's going to be empty for a while. It's going to be crickets. You just got to push through it. Um, and so I was just create, focusing on being consistent rather than getting lots of attention. Um, and I think that's what actually helped me more in the beginning is because focusing on consistency over trying to do well um, allowed me to get better just by practicing. And so I was getting comfortable on camera while everyone else was still too nervous to show up and put their faces out there. And then when Reels launched on Instagram, I was repurposing my content from TikTok over to Instagram and it just let me take off instantly. And it was so much easier. 
How long was the process? Um, probably before I started seeing any kind of results, it was at least six months. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a long time to be patient uh, with something that doesn't feel like it's working. And were you showing up every day, a couple times a week? What did that look like? Oh, look, it was probably, um, it was probably through, I'd say three to five times a week. Uh, being realistic, I couldn't, I couldn't be producing and putting stuff out there every single day. I feel like that's, um, if, if I was to start from scratch, knowing what I know now, yes, I would absolutely double down and be putting out two to three videos a day. But that's only because I'm now comfortable enough to be, be okay with not being perfect. Um, but in the, in the early days, I wasn't able to be that kind of consistent. So I just focused on reducing the friction between me and the publish and just making it happen in whatever way was natural for me. So many questions. Okay, so just jumping to, I'm going to jump forward to knowing what you know today, what would you do if you were starting today? And you're like, okay, I know I need to be visible on social media. I see these things working for other people. Where would you jump in today? What would you focus on? I would focus on uh, serving people first. Um, There is so much to be said for showing up, delivering value and expecting nothing of it. Because when you do that, and that is what I've sort of pivoted towards now. Um, When you do that, expecting nothing of it, you get something anyway. Um, There's a kind of reciprocal, unspoken arrangement that happens when you start being a hugely valuable person. And it it turns up in different ways. But uh, ultimately, I think if you give, you will end up receiving whether or not you've planned to or not. Do you have a process for planning out your content, you know, on a weekly or monthly basis where you're like, okay, uh, this week I need to do one tip. And then, you know, the second post is going to be, you know, a client story. Do you have anything like that? Or is it just whatever comes to mind, whatever feels right. And you just show up and do it. So I have a, um, (laughs) I have several systems, um, but I wouldn't say it's a rigid strategy. I have, uh, so I'm, I'm kind of embracing the, the no niche trend, which sounds weird because I'm, I'm obviously a copywriter, but um, I think building my personal brand has been more effective for me than just being like, hey, I'm a copywriter. Here's why you need a copywriter. Here's why, you know. Um, so I have like basically a massive bank of content ideas, things that come to me when I'm, you know, scrolling through my feeds, um, whenever I, I think of something and I go, oh, actually, yeah, I really should like make a post about that. Whenever something annoys me when I'm scrolling through social media, I'm like, actually, I kind of want to address this and I'll make a note of it. Um, so usually when I make a note of posts, it's for things like carousels or um, specific type of graphics because my kind, my rule for myself now is if I get an idea, I should be trying to film it in the moment in, in that, like, cause I'm, I'm at home all the time. I got to use that. <laughs> so if I get an idea for a video, I try and film it on the spot because nothing captures the energy of the moment quite like filming something as soon as you get the idea for it. And it's, it's made my content so much better. <laughs> Honestly, it's, I, underrated tip. Okay. So, um, I'd love to hear more about what is working today. You know, what is working on TikTok? What's not working? 
where do you, well, let's just start there. That's, uh, that's actually a really hard question because um, what is working at the moment is exactly what I just described, which is the energetic in the moment, like you've had an idea and it's like you're just vlogging your day. Um, the, there's a, a rise of a no niche creator on TikTok that's happening at the moment where people are actively rejecting overly stylized, overly edited um, videos because they feel inaccessible and people aren't responding to that well because it feels like a thinly veiled ad. Um, so that the easier you can make your content, the more authentic it is, the more it can feel like a conversation between you and like your best friend over a coffee, the more you're going to find people resonate with your content. And the the people who I see who are growing exponentially overnight are all doing that right now. So while we're talking about what's working, uh, let's let's talk about that post with 6 million views the the i guess let's call that the inflection point right or or you know, maybe i i don't know there's probably a better name for it but what did that post do in particular that you hadn't been doing before or why do you think it went viral when all of the other content was you know slow and getting traction yeah so that one was um it was musical it was polarizing um, had strong reactions from people. People either loved it or they really hated it. And I got, I got a fair amount of hate along with the love, um, which, you know, that's, that's the risk you take when you're, when you're pinning your, your business on content creation. Um, but it, it, I think it came at the right time as well. Um, Instagram was really looking for engaging videos to be pushing out with their new feature. So it, it was a combination of factors. I would say that there was a fair amount of luck involved in that. I happened to be in the right time at the right place with the right look and the right, you know, sort of content for what they were looking to push. So there was a fair amount of privilege, I'd say, that was associated with that as well. Um, it is now harder to, to have those kind of results on Instagram. So like, if you hear that the algorithm is pushing something new and you want to experiment, do it then. When it's new, that's great. Give it a go, see what happens. Um, but yeah, it, it was definitely a combination of it being um, polarizing. <laughs> <laughs> a polarizing topic and musical. It was, it was fun, you know? Uh, yeah, I have just one quick follow up on that. You know, with the six million people who saw it, how many of those translated into like followers and people who would normally come back? Okay, so I was probably at around about a thousand followers before that, and I went up to about twelve thousand, oh um, sort of within the month. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> no biggie. It's fine. Um, Nobody tells you that the scariest videos to post are the ones after you go incredibly viral, <laughs> just for the record. Um, See, well, that, that makes a lot of sense. It's like the second disappear. album, right, that, that flops for the rock band that has the number one singles. Or, yeah. But exactly. You've suddenly got eyes watching you, and it's like, well, what do I do now? What do these people want from me? <laughs> I've been posting the same stuff for six months. Like, I mean, let's well, let's dig into that. As of, like, how, how did you 
move forward after that? Were, did you just stay grounded and say, I'm going to keep doing the same thing? Or did you have to work through some of that mindset stuff? There was very little grounding involved. There was a lot of burying my head in the sand and going, you know what? I'm, I can't. I just can't. I'm going to just post and run away from my phone so that I can't see what happens. Because I knew that if I was like obsessively watching my notifications, right. it was just not going to happen. And the thing that, that, the other thing that I didn't realize when you go viral, like, properly viral like that, you can't use your phone. The app becomes unusable. So you can't interact with the people that you have been interacting with for six months in any kind of meaningful way for a good month after you have a viral video because you just can't see what they're what they're talking to you about. So like I had literally hundreds and hundreds of DMs, thousands of notifications every hour. I just physically couldn't keep up with it. So it was, it was a case of, I'm coming on here to scream into the void and I'm going to leave. Okay. Well, yeah. And how, how do you deal with that today um, with just turning, being able to turn things off? Because I, I think that's something I, I know it's something that I struggle with. Like I like the idea of doing it and tapping in, posting, maybe engaging for a little bit because you're supposed to do that. But then I need to be able to shut that door and I struggle to do that once you know once I'm putting content out there I want to know how it's received I want to know who's liking it how do you manage that uh it's still a work in progress yes <laughs> um it's look it's it's really challenging because there's um there's a sense that you need to always be on and being accountable to people who depend on you for advice and support and you know it's not just your friends and family that are following you on social media, it's potential clients and people who might want to work with you and people you have important business partnerships with. And so there's this whole ecosystem that you you have to be able to set a boundary for. And um, quiet mode is a new thing that's come up on Instagram where you can enable it and it will physically hold back every notification until you turn it off. So you will suddenly get like, all of your notifications at once when you switch it back on. But the thing I love about it is it does not notify you of anything until you have decided you're ready to receive them. Um, so I would actually start using that because when you've got it enabled, it tells people that you are using it. So they don't just think you're ignoring them or like leaving them on red. It tells them, hey, she's not like she's not accepting messages right now your message will be delivered when she turns this back on. Um, so I would use that. But until then, um, I, I have to kind of like baby myself a little bit and make myself leave my phone in another room, turn on like airplane mode, do not disturb, all that jazz. What it, like Literally whatever works to get it out of your line of sight is, is probably the best thing. And while we're talking about this, can we talk a little bit about dealing with haters, the negative comments? Did you just ignore them? Do you reply to them? How? And I think this is especially for women, um, you know, more than men. I, uh, something goes popular, you get a lot of hate, some that's not, you know, very inappropriate. Um, talk a little bit about how you dealt with that. Didn't always deal with it super well. Um. <laughs> well okay, let's get in those details. I want to hear about the, the not super well. Oh, look, sometimes, you know, they say don't feed trolls, but sometimes it's, you just really want to just, you just want to feed them. 
just a little bit. Um, so, you know, you kind of occasionally don't get, um, don't get caught on your best moment. So you might respond with something really snarky. Um, after a while, like when you get to sort of the 50th, 100th hate comment, you're just like, after a while, you know what? Screw you guys. I've, I've had enough. I'm just going to like tell you where to go. Um, so, I mean, I did that a few times. Um, eventually I was just like, hey, if you don't like it, feel free to keep scrolling. You know, you can just go along with your day. You don't have to stop in here and spend your time engaging with my content because that's probably going to bring more of me into your feeds. So well done you. Um, but no, I mean, knowing what I know now, having been able to, like I've had, I've had a fair few more viral videos since then. So I'm fine now to just be like, meh, whatever. <laughs> Just you just ignore it. If it gets malicious, there's now words that you can sort of block from appearing on your on your comments, and they go into like this little hidden moderation space. Um, and I think that really helps to if if you find certain things triggering, or if people are determined to attack you for one specific thing, which they can. Like sometimes they'll attack you for your. I've I've had people attack me for my makeup, my hair, like my outfits. Like this is not the place for makeup tips if you're looking for that kind of stuff. I'm not that person. <laughs> but yeah, you just got to find your own way of of like just ignoring them basically because you can't feed into it too much otherwise it becomes this this whole big thing. You just got to focus on the people who are showing you support because there's a lot of them. Let's jump in and just talk about a couple of things that uh, Chloe's been mentioning. So Jill, I would love to start with anything that stood out to you from this first half of the episode. What caught your interest? Obviously Sweden. Um, I think that it's really interesting too that she said that she applied for these things after a couple of glasses of wine, like my kind of girl, and uh, just like going all in with them and like deciding to try start that travel blog and you know, like not holding back on these things that maybe would seem kind of not, I don't know, like people, people might judge. Right. But she just like goes all in on those and she doesn't seem to care what other people think and just is very much herself. And I really liked that. Yeah. Every time we have a guest that talks about like traveling to somewhere that always catches my attention as well, just because I think that's the, that's like one of my, not necessarily hobbies, but one of the things that really drives me and just like learning about the world. But that's not the only way to do that. I think really the thing here is that Chloe was opening herself up to new experiences, trying out stuff without really, I mean, just kind of crazy stuff in some ways, you know, not uh, having plans moving forward, but just embracing the magic that can happen. And I think travel is so great for that because you put yourself in a new situation, surrounded by totally new people, sometimes new foods, different currencies. And because of all of the newness and unfamiliarity, it kind of creates something magic. And obviously it led Chloe to a travel blog, but for anyone, it can lead to new business ideas, new relationships, all kinds of stuff. And I think too, like, even though she's doing these things that might seem like wild or, or uh, like unfamiliar, like you said, she still seems really strategic about it, right? Like how she was transitioning away from her nine to five. Like, yes, she's jumping all into these things, but she's doing it in a really smart way, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, we obviously I asked her about that, and that was something that was huge for me as well, and I think is really worth hitting on again. So many people just quit the job and think I'm going to go all in on copywriting without a plan, without a lot of clients lined up, and this business isn't exactly easy. Uh, it's hard enough to help people find, you know, get results with the copy that we create, but then also on top of that, going out and finding a long line of clients. And so having a nine to five or having some other kind of runway that, you know, savings in the bank, whatever that is that allows you to be able to grow slowly or at your own pace, whatever that is, is so important. And something that, you know, as I watch a lot of copywriters who are just like, yeah, I'm, I'm screwed the nine to five. I'm done with it. I'm going all in. I'm like, well, Yes, for sure, but maybe hold on to the job for three or four months until you've you know built up a client roster or something like that. Yeah, or like just like prepare for it, right? Like you said, savings or something, because going all in it adds all of this pressure, and then if you have that pressure, you might not perform. And yes, things these things can be easy once you figure it out, but in the beginning, it's definitely a challenge to figure out where to get clients. So I think that she went about this in a very intelligent way. And it seems that this is a trend for everything she does, like looking at the six month runway for um, like being consistent and showing up before seeing the results. Like that takes hard work, but it's smart. Yeah. And I mean, when we're talking about the six months before we see results, we're talking actually about like posting all of that content on TikTok. And to me, like I, I admire her so much for that because yeah, I'll, I'll start to post content and after three or four weeks, if it's not getting traction, like, man, is this worth it? And I mean, it literally takes months of effort sometimes in a channel to start seeing results. And I think some people may argue that six months is short, that, that Chloe got lucky with a couple of viral videos, which you know, we can, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you've kind of deconstructed it. Maybe we should go into some of that as well. Like what made the viral? Because they're really, some of her viral stuff is really cool. The, the ones with thousands and thousands, but six months to, to hit that first viral video. And then she's had more success since then is a long time. And it's a lot, it's a lot of patience. So yeah, she, again, goes back to thinking very strategically about what she's doing in her business and her approach. Yeah. Not everybody has that kind of patience or like discipline to like push through perseverance. So I think that's impressive. Yeah. Let's talk about those videos though. Like what, as you watched the videos, I actually did the same thing. As soon as we got off of the interview, I'm like, oh, I got to find that first video and see what it was. What, what were your thoughts about her viral videos? First of all, she's funny. Chloe, I want to be your friend. If you're listening to this, can we be friends? Um, second, the ones that were like had the most virality seemed like they were a perfect combination of being like relatable, but then they were also catching on the trending sounds at the time, which I know is really hard, but like the relatability piece is like the most important and then catching on that sign that, sorry, that sound and then riding that wave. It seemed like a combination of that. And then also just like talking to like a slightly different audience, right? Like I noticed that the ones that were the biggest, the most, the most views, uh, they were actually talking to other freelancers too. So I like, if I could, I would ask her how that works with her strategy of getting clients. I'm curious, but that's what I noticed so far. Yeah. And some of the, they, some of them have, uh, original music, some really cool tunes, like with a nice hook. Um, and so as you got into them, you, the hook kind of caught your attention, but the music, the story that she's telling in the music keeps you there. Uh, I, I, I think that 
I mean, from a copywriting standpoint, it's not just a post, but it's a really nice piece of content that's structured in a way that that keeps you uh, on the page and that makes it shareable too. You're like, oh, this is funny, or this is really relatable, like you said. I need to share it with my friends, and it's that kind of stuff starts to make you take off. Exactly. Yeah. The, the storytelling is a big piece of it because even in short form content, we have to tell stories. Yeah. And then, you know, the impact of going viral, you know, if, if some people don't ever want to be viral and that's fine. Some people only want to be viral, which is, you know, maybe a pursuit of something that's uh, beyond doing every single time. But, you know, unless you're Mr. Beast or something, you know, someone like that, but um, the, just that increase in an audience, you know, going from say a thousand to 12,000 viewers in a single week, that kind of stuff, I think really impacts your mindset. And she mm -hmm. talked a bit about that, you know, what it did. And like, once you have, suddenly you have all these extra eyes on you, watching you, and it's like the pressure ratchets up a, a ton. And just being able to even deal with that uh, is something that I'd never really thought about. You know, as, as I post content, you know, what would happen if now 200,000 people are listening to this podcast instead of, you know, the regular five or 6,000 who listen to it. And uh, that's a totally different, I mean, that's going from a large conference room, a really large conference room to a stadium. And it's a different kind of audience and a different level of pressure. It's, it's she's done it really well. I agree. And there's definitely a mindset piece for any time that you level up in your business, like whether it's getting a bigger audience, making more money, just you set the bar higher and then the stakes are higher. And we don't realize that there's going to be a whole other set of challenges when we get there, right? Like we think going viral is the solution or like if we just have a bunch more eyes on it, but then you're met with a whole other set of challenges. And it seems like she's navigated that really well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And uh, just as a, a last note, you're talking about dealing with the trolls, the haters. Uh, again, something else she's done really well, I think. I would be really tempted to, you know, get in some kind of a flame war, you know, push people back. But it, there's this interesting thing that's happened. We've seen it with some of the ads that we've run on Facebook, but, you know, even negative comments spread the message. And she, she mentioned, you know, she was talking, you know, as she responds back to people is like, the more you engage with my content, the more you're going to see it. And that is true of almost all of the algorithms that are out there. And so even haters posting comments, yeah, there's some stuff that shouldn't be out there. You know, if it's racist or sexist or what, like that stuff is bad for sure. But even those comments bring more people to see your content. And so uh, the, the haters who are, you know, want to make sure that they put you into your place or try to shut you down are actually doing the exact opposite. Doesn't necessarily mean that you want to talk to them, but, uh, or <laughs> encourage them because yeah, you don't want that negative energy, but it also can help you. Yeah. It's, it's, what's that old saying? Like even bad publicity is still publicity. So it's definitely working. Yeah, and it is, it's obviously it's working for her. Let's go back to the interview with Chloe and talk about the basics of content creation. I want to kind of um, go back to some of the more technical aspects of content creation, like even just the basic stuff. And this is an area that, you know, I think uh, I have not done well, even as a brand, you know, Copywriter Clip has not done as well. And so... If I'm sitting down and I'm like, okay, this is something I want to focus on in 2023, what are some guiding principles um, we should think about? You mentioned like consistency. You mentioned giving generously and not asking for anything in exchange, which I think is helpful. Um, 
what else did you mention? Like not scripting it and making it too polished at this point. What else should we be thinking about? Is there, you know, length of time? What else should I think about as I jump into it? Um, I So for me, I think um, that the quality of your content is much more about what you're saying and who you're saying it for rather than hacking your way to a, a, a better audience. Like that's the people who focus on too much on trends which I was guilty of in the beginning, the people who focus too much on, you know, algorithm hacks and tweaks. And this is, you know, this is what Instagram's doing. And if you focus on the content, it will ultimately serve you much better because you're, you're speaking to an audience of people who are going to, you know, be helped by what you're saying. Um, you can serve your audience while still selling. Like, let's be realistic. We are in in sales. Um, so I think being transparent about that is by far the, the way to go. Um, because, I mean, realistically, we're all small business owners. There is an element of, uh, I guess, transaction to our content. But ultimately, we are putting it out there in the hopes that it will help us run our business. You've got to own that. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Are there, what are the specific tools you use when you're creating your videos? I don't do the, the whole best practice thing. I, you know what I use to film my videos? I use TikTok. Okay. So this, so this is actually important because I think a lot of people do get hung up on the tools and they're like, okay, I can't do it until the kit's right. Until I've got the right camera, I've got the right mic, I've got the halo light and all of that. And, and so, yeah, I would love to hear like, what is the basic setup? Uh, you know, especially if you're not using the big recommended setups. Yeah. So for, for starters, um, I did all of my content for at least a year with nothing more than my phone and a window. That was it. I, I used TikTok. The window for light. The window is, is key. Like, the window yes, is key. Yeah. I did not have a ring light. I was too cheap to buy one. Talking my language I think they're like $50 now. <laughs> I, I now have one because I, I realized that I I needed to be, uh, my, my office is not the most well lit of places. And, you know, when you're doing podcasts and things, you need to, yeah. But this, I actually made, I actually made a TikTok about this. I, my philosophy is do not pay to get started, pay to upgrade. So if you are waiting for the perfect conditions to start making content for your business, you are never going to make content for your business. You just need to start. You need to start with what you have now. Um, because if you can start with what you have now and start to get stuff out there and make it work, up paying to upgrade your, your existing setup is going to be so much more effective. Um, because it's just another form of procrastination. It's like buying a course instead of just going and executing on something. It's you just need to do it. Action will be will teach you far more than um, any editing tool or you know audio upgrade enhance thing. No, just stop it. Just get your camera and film. Just film. Okay, let's see if this how this question comes out. But I I think it's easy to watch other people on any social media platform. So if we're talking about TikTok and Instagram, great. So I'm watching you, seeing what you're doing. I want to start doing it. It's really probably too easy for me to kind of embody your style and um, your creativity and content creation. 
And I think that gets in people's way too, because then they aren't really being authentic and it's like, they're trying to be someone else. So how have you guided other people or what's helped you just kind of stay true to your own style? Because you have your unique style, but this is something that a lot of people struggle with. I think model don't copy. So if you, if you like the, the way that somebody films their videos, maybe try, try a similar setup and see how it works for you. Um, there's nothing that is bad about experimenting with different styles, different formats, different hooks, different, like whatever, whatever it is you want to do. Um, yeah, give it a go. See what works. You don't know what's going to start resonating with your audience until you start doing it. So if what somebody else is doing seems to work really well for them and you think, oh, I'd really like to try that, but I don't want to seem like I'm copying. They're not watching you as much as you think they are. Just try it. Uh, honestly, if somebody wants to copy how I do my videos, knock yourself out. <laughs> Go for it. It doesn't matter. There's like, there's so much room for everyone who wants to be a content creator to go and do it. So um, you will, as you like practice, get better, more comfortable, you'll find your own style. You'll find what works for you. And it may be similar to what someone else is doing, but who cares? Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, as copywriters, we kind of know that we, we all sort of start out sometimes using templates or seeing what other people are writing and, and echoing that and until we develop our own style. So I, I think that's a, a really good application of that same idea. Uh, Chloe, I would love to ask, there are certain people who just want to be on Instagram or TikTok and be the personality, the influencer. But I think most people who are listening to this are thinking, okay, they're a tool for growing my business. So how do you go from posting the content to turning people who see that content into clients? Is it as simple as they reach out and say, I've got to work with you? Or is there more involved in that uh, transition from viewer to client? Yeah. So um, a lot of the time it is just a case because you are posting regularly, you are staying top of mind compared to somebody who is not posting consistently. Um, if they continue to see you show up in your in their feeds, you're talking about what it is you do, who you do it for, how you help, the results that you're getting, all of those sorts of things. It is very difficult for them to forget about you when you are there all the time. Um, and that does so much more than you might think for helping to encourage people to reach out when they think, okay, I need somebody for this. Actually, this person is everywhere at the moment. I'm going to just like reach out and see what, you know, see what they can do for me. Um, once they get to that point, you, this is where like making sure that your social profiles are optimized to, to receive uh, those kind of queries when you get them, because so often you go to someone's profile and they don't have a website or they have a, a link that's just to a form that says apply to work with me and it has no other information and people do not want to feel trapped into a, a conversation where they might be in a sales conversation that they're not prepared for or, you know, they they can't budget for. Um, and it's really uncomfortable to put people on the spot like that. So putting them in a position where they can go and investigate you, see what you're all about, um, independently of having to talk to you first, massively underrated. Make sure you have a website at, at bare minimum. It can be like one of those little link in bio ones. It doesn't have to be anything extensive or fancy, but just 
make it easy. Make it easy for people to contact you and to to reach out and figure out what it is that you charge and what you're all about and all that sort of like that that takes away half the work. Um, the other part is actually engaging with other people's content um, by starting. And I will I will say this. I have actually worked with um, somebody who is experienced in engagement and lead generation uh, to help me start conversations with potential clients um, because I am not great at starting conversations, but I'm fine once it's started. So these are people who have gone out and sourced a pool of potential leads and then we there are either people who are already following me or there are people who that like I have expressed an interest in that style of person. I think I could really help their business, etc. And it is not a sales conversation. I will stress that. We just talk. We engage, we get on their radar and just start having a conversation. And you know, if sometimes it leads to somewhere, sometimes it doesn't, but I think it is really important to remember that every business, especially service providers, are ultimately in the lead generation and sales conversion business. We, you, you just have to be prepared that there is not just one way of getting clients. And if you are prepared to go out and have conversations with people, to actually talk to them like they're humans, get on their radar and make yourself more visible through manual processes, you're going to find it a lot easier when everyone's struggling with, you know, getting getting eyes on their content. You're still having conversations with people every single day. And that's, it's so underrated. Can you break that down even more? Are you currently working with someone? I'm not. At the moment, no, I'm not. I, I have in the past, um, but I'm sort of changing my business model a little bit. So I don't really want to be working with someone while I'm not sure exactly what I'm doing. Um, I, I'm kind of in a place where I want to start scaling back on my one-to-one um, client work and working a bit more um, on my own products, my own like newsletter and that sort of thing. Okay, so let's say um, I'm listening to this. I want to do that. I maybe can't hire someone to support me with that engagement yet, but I can do it on my own. What would be some steps, you know, to start that conversation and to do it the right way from your experience? Um, so in, start by going and following these people for starters. Um, find people in your um, in your preferred niches or in you know the uh, like the personality people who sort of fit the archetype of the the person that you want to work with um, you can start by engaging with some of their content the key is to is to make it actually meaningful engagement and not just chuck a bunch of emojis on their latest post or spam like them with 20 things it's you follow them and then you you wait a bit and maybe you engage with one of their stories maybe you actually like read through some of their posts, find one that really resonates with you, and then leave a comment that actually says, this is actually really valuable for this, this, and this reason. I really love this work, blah, blah, blah. You know, you know how to like leave meaningful comments because you see so many that are just like, love this, hashtag, you know, <laughs> great work. Um, so it that that really sort of opens the the window to it because really it's just it, 
it's just about making connections. You're not you're not trying to get these people into a sales conversation. You are just networking. And if you focus on the networking, then the other part happens organically. It it's I I'm still like not exactly sure on the science of it because that's not my area of specialty. But the more you have conversations with people, the more you're engaged with their content in a meaningful way, the more they will eventually start to do the same with you. And after a while, you're talking to these people like they're friends. You've known them for, you know, a few months. And suddenly when they hear on their radar somewhere that so-and-so needs a copywriter for something, you are one of the people on their radar that they then go to. So we talked a little bit about uh, some of the negative feedback and things that have happened. I'm curious about your biggest failure, um, you know, whether it's involved with TikTok or Instagram, or even maybe it's a bigger business failure. Like what have you really struggled with or what is the thing that you look back and you're like, oh, cringe. I wish that, you know, I hadn't done that. Um, yeah, look, I've had several um, massive failures. Some some things have been just like normal learning stuff in business where, you know, you you might sign a contract without reading it super thoroughly and then you end up having a panic attack over it. Read your contracts, people. That one's important. Um, I think the other one was, this was quite possibly the one I felt the worst about, was when I took on a client who wasn't a good fit and uh, we were not a good fit for each other. She was fabulous. She would have been a wonderful client for someone who was not me. And I took her on anyway, despite feeling the the weird vibes and thinking, should I? <laughs> uh, yeah, if you're getting the should I worries about, about a client very early on in the process, that is a sign that you should probably not be working with them. Um, but yeah, it was a monumental disaster and uh, every step of the way I I hated working with this particular person and I felt like a massive failure and it just taught me that I need to trust my instincts a bit better, ask more questions before I accept a client and to not just take someone on because I thought, okay, project's a project's a project. Um, no, it's not. And sometimes you need to just learn when to pass a client on to someone else and uh, not take them on yourself. And I mean, there's there's been others there's been other stuff where you know you you're making content that's not necessarily, um, I guess, cl- like client shaming content. I think there was a fair amount of that probably in the beginning, and there's a lot of arrogance around that. And I'm not super proud of that work now, <laughs> but. Uh, we learn. <laughs> That's what I want to see. That's what I want to check out. Uh, did you finish that, the client project with the client that was not a good fit? How did you complete that? Because that is, and we get into it halfway and we're like, do I leave? Do I refund? Do I finish it? What do I do? So I, I had three deliverables for that particular client. Um, and we were partway through the second one. The first one had been largely completed Um, so what I ended up doing was, uh, leveling and I, I, I'm very, I'm a very pragmatic person at heart. So I just leveled with her and I said, look, this isn't working. I don't want you to keep pushing through with this when I'm not sure I can deliver exactly what it is that you're looking for. I think you would really be suited better to somebody else. And I'm happy to provide a list of recommendations if you would like them. 
But what I'm proposing that we do is terminate the contract here. Um, you do not need to pay anything extra. Um, the the down payment that they had made um, covered the portion that had already been completed, and um, I copped a loss on the the second deliverable. And I just and she was happy to, to to accept that. I think she was quite relieved as well that I was going to release her from the contract. So it was, um, yeah. Yeah, that was that was the the way that I and in hindsight I I would a hundred percent do that again because it released both of us from a very sticky situation that wasn't working for either of us. Yeah, no, that's handled really well. I I want to kind of shift to your business and the impact of what you've been doing with content marketing um, on your business. Like, if you're open to sharing rough numbers, specific numbers, or just you know, I'm kind of picturing going viral, content marketing, um, increasing, and then what it actually does for your business on the back end beyond the followers. Yeah. Um, basically it means that I've, I've not really had to do any, um, prospecting work for, for quite some time. I tend to just get a steady trickle of inquiries through and that sustains me at a level that I'm comfortable with. I'm I'm not somebody who likes to max myself out completely at the expense of my sanity. So I tend to to try and aim for I I would say a certain um revenue point where I'm like, you know what? This is this is fine. Um I I don't like to talk about being, you know, multiple five figure months and all that kind of jazz. It's, I, I find that kind of marketing really predatory um, uh, and just not at all helpful for most people. Um, but I have my steady contractor clients who are, you know, wonderful. I have a fabulous client who I absolutely adore, who drops in usually once a month for a blog post. And <laughs> it's like the easiest relationship ever. And I love him. <laughs> um, and I'd say that if you can get yourself a steady, uh, a steady retainer client and then pad it out with, you know, one-off projects that really sort of uh, fulfill your, your desire to, um, I guess, experiment and do like cool projects and interesting things and things that kind of light you up, um, yeah do that but as far as like the back end is concerned um i probably work with around three to five clients a month um and i'm i'm let's say i'm making over 5k a month doing that uh pounds <laughs> important currency yeah, small small difference there i mean less of a difference now than it was say four or five years ago but yeah yeah, yeah. But I'd, I'd say there's there's a lot of opportunity to be making. Uh, you, I mean, there is there really is no ceiling. It depends on what kind of business model you want to run and how hard you want to work and what you want to do. Um, there's a lot of people making a lot more money than me. There's a lot of people making a lot less. Yeah, enough enough is enough, I guess. This is... So, Chloe, I, I'm curious. You mentioned that you're making some changes to your business and working on your own products. I'm really curious. What's next for you and your business? Where is that going? Hopefully, it's not too early to share some of the details of what you're working on. No, I'm I'm fully transparent. Basically, what I'd like to do is um, 
I, I'd like to be able to take on very, very occasional copywriting projects um, in the very near future um, because I want to become a full-time content creator this year and I'm launching my YouTube channel soon. Uh, well, I've, I've started posting on it. It's not very uh, full yet, let's say. Um, and I plan to launch a, um, I guess, a paid newsletter um, soon. I'm starting to like really focus on serving my email list. Um, so at the moment, it's it's a case of me trying to get consistent with that, which is challenging because I'm still balancing lots of client work and all that jazz. But yeah, that's what it's all about. And what you know, what is the struggle today? I know we talked about some you know some losses, failures along the way, but at this point, you know, you have done so many things so well business is looking good. You're thinking about what you want to shape your business into. Where, where do you struggle at this point in your business? Over committing myself and then not being able to do all of the things that I want to do because I am very much uh, like I get magpie syndrome, very shiny penny and being able to like commit to something, see it through and actually finish it. I find really challenging because I have too many ideas and too many things that I would love to be able to do, but I got to focus on finishing the ones that I start. <laughs> it's so challenging. I honestly, it's if I think if Rob there and I can relate to that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> a major struggle over here too. Mm. Yeah, it's. I don't think I people talk about it all the time, but you know, like I've read books on how to finish things, and like it's it's a never-ending struggle let's put it that way okay so I want to wrap with a question that um we, we kind of stopped asking recently but it used to be my favorite question to ask uh what do you think the future of copywriting looks like I think it looks like um many opportunities for people who learn to work with the changes in tech instead of fighting them and being in denial. <laughs> I like that. Well said. <laughs> um, okay, so for anyone listening who wants to see your content, connect with you, um, follow you, all the things, where can they go? Uh, TikTok is the place where you will find me most often. I am the right Chloe. Um, my handle will probably be printed in the notes. For the podcast um and i'm also on instagram under the same name and that's also my website the right as well um yes chuck me a follow if you're interested in learning about social media and copywriting and content marketing all right well thank you i know rob lost his sound so he would thank you as well but he like just lost it so um but we appreciate you coming in here and talking about your process and i have been you know, kind of watching you from afar for a while. And so it's just really fun to hear about what was happening on the back end and how you put all this together. It's so impressive and um, inspiring. And and I'm going to try to jump in and create some more content. Do it. You'll have fun. It's hard at first, but it gets much easier very quickly. So yeah, give it a go. All right. Well, thank you, Chloe. Thank you so much for having me. So that's our interview with TikTok sensation copywriter, Chloe Barnes. Before we 
get to our finale, there are a couple of things that stood out to us that we want to highlight. And, you know, I'll just kick it off. You know, I, I'm really impressed with how Chloe got started. You know, there are no special tools. She used TikTok to video everything and edit everything, at least as she was getting started. She had her phone and, and a window for light. Like in some ways that's crazy, but that's the best way to get started. You know, so many people are thinking, well, I've got to have all my content ready. I've got to have the lighting perfect. I've got to be able to do my makeup or, you know, get dress properly, or I, you know, got to wait for the rainstorm to go because I need the sunshine to be just right. And none of that stuff actually matters. It's really about just getting started and putting in the time, putting in the repetitions. Uh, And then, you know, something that is as Chloe was talking about this, this kind of reminds me of my approach to business, which is you don't need to know everything. If you take on a new project, like say maybe, you know, setting up a TikTok account or whatever, you can you can buy a course that will teach you that, or you can find the person who can help you with that just in time. You don't need to get it six months in advance before you get started. You can learn things on the fly. And I really like that approach to how she just started to get herself out there. I agree. I really like the like, don't pay to get started, just pay to upgrade kind of idea. Like we as copywriters are in like a a really smart business in that sense, because we can get started with just our laptops, right? Or our phones, if we're going to start marketing and we don't need all these other bells and tools and tech and everything. But I think a lot of people will use those as excuses to not start. And we can't let that hold us back, right? Like you don't need the perfect setup. You don't need all of the equipment. You can just start now and then improve as you go. Like she said, she bought a, a light later. You can do that. I've done the same thing in my business too. Like when I went all in on Instagram and then going into YouTube, like you don't need to have everything perfect. And once it starts working, then you can improve your setup afterwards. Yeah. You even did this. I I remember when you did your website, you know, you kind of went from the basic website that, you know, was good enough. And you eventually, you know, once you had the income, you spent some money on some really nice brand imagery. It's on your site now. I love your website now. And it really shows off your personality and who you are. Um, But it's the whole, the whole thing is a journey. Definitely do not spend thousands of dollars on your website in the beginning, but once you're like, sure, then you can go on it. So it, it makes a lot of sense to go about it that way. And then in terms of coming up with your own style, like it makes more sense to invest invest after you know what that style is too, right? Like if I went in all, all in on my website originally, it would be a huge waste of money versus when I was ready for that now, like it it really aligns. Like when you see me online, that's that's how I am. So definitely makes a lot more sense once you know your style. If I remember right, we actually talked about this on your interview when you were on the podcast before, going from the nice girl image that didn't feel like it was quite a fit. Not that you're not a nice person, but you know, bringing bringing out uh, a, the different side of you and inv- and uh, like you were just saying, you know, if you go all in on the first thing that hits uh, or the first thing that you think of, it may not actually feel right a year or two later. So it's nice to take that time to find your voice, to figure out what you have to offer the world, not just uh, from a branding standpoint, but even from a product standpoint, because that stuff tends to shift a lot over the first couple of years. Yeah. I always tell like my clients or like leads when I get them, if they're brand new in business, that it's probably not worth it for them to invest in something that's totally done for them because things are going to change. And that's true for us too. For sure. The other thing that really stood out, you know, as Chloe, Chloe mentioned sort of being 
easy to find, always there, making it very easy to connect with, you know, uh, as if you're, especially if you're going to use social media as a prospecting tool or a way to, you know, find opportunities in business that you have to make it easy for people to find you, to connect with you. And then it's beyond you know, being nice or, you know, doing great work, you actually have to forge an actual real relationship. And if you do that on social media, of course, you know, there's that back and forth, but even with clients, it's, it's not just, Hey, I'm serving you, but it's a partnership and a, a real relationship with the people that you work with. Yeah. And I think that if you're strategically sharing information before you get on that sales call, then not only will your sales calls be better, you won't be getting on with duds, but you'll have that connection or they'll have that connection with you before they even meet you. And that's a really cool thing when you get to that spot in your business. And it just comes from like sharing the right things at the right time that they need to get to that next step. Um, Another part that she mentioned is that she actually outsourced the initial like lead outreach, which I think is really cool because some of us copywriters can be awkward at times and maybe starting that conversation is hard, but continuing it is easy. So that's, that was something interesting too. Yeah. That, I think that's something that could benefit a lot of people is working with somebody who can do that outreach, somebody who is maybe more extroverted than some of us copywriters, you know, introverted copywriters, or somebody who's maybe more polished with that initial outreach and can help with the sales call. Uh, you know, we've talked with guests in the past who've done something similar. And it, again, if it can take one of the hard things of building a business off of your plate and get it onto somebody else's, that allows you then to focus on the things that you're really good at, it could be a really smart move. Agreed. And then if you're doing all of this pre-work before you get on the calls and before you sign contracts with people, then you're going to probably avoid the dud kind of clients and the bad clients and the ones where like the money isn't worth it. So if you're doing your due diligence, then you won't end up in a situation like she mentioned. It eliminate the red flags so that there's no worries about ignoring them because they just don't even come up which is, yeah, it, it's never a good idea to take a project just for the money, especially if you're feeling, you know, some of the, the in your gut, oh, wait a second, this doesn't feel right. Something's off here. Even if the money's good, even if the money's great, you almost always come to regret that. Agreed. But then something that I've noticed too over like my own brand's growth is that the more you put yourself out there and you get clear on your style and what makes you special, then you start to, um, repel those ones that don't fit. And then you have even less of those that you have to like look for the red flag. So I'm sure that she's experiencing something like that too, because she's showing up in a way that seems very authentic to her. Yeah, that's a really good point, Jill. I like a lot of people are so afraid of doing something that's going to push away any clients. And the fact of the matter is, it's actually a really good thing to lean into your voice so that you connect with the people that you connect with. And unless your voice is so offensive that you don't connect with anybody. And I, I find that really hard to, to imagine, but maybe there's somebody out there that's like that. But yeah, pushing away clients that are not a fit for you is not, it's never a bad thing. If it's not a fit, they shouldn't be working with you in the first place. Yeah, it's a great thing. We don't want them in our world. So see, she seems like she's doing that well. Yeah, for sure. Attracting the right ones. Yes. Well, we want to thank Chloe Barnes for joining us on the podcast and sharing so many details about her marketing and her business. If you want to connect with Chloe, you should start by following her on TikTok or Instagram. Her handle there is the right Chloe and right is spelled W-R-I-T-E, the right Chloe. You can also find her online on her website at the right Chloe. She's smart and 
having the same handle for everything. And I want to thank my co-host, Jill Wise, for joining me to add a few her thoughts to this interview. You can find Jill at jillwise.com. You can also find Jill on Instagram. uh, And be sure to check out her interview on this podcast. That was episode number 235. And we're definitely going to bring you back, Jill, for more. What's your Instagram handle? It's Jill Wise. Because you've done the same thing. You're the same person everywhere. I'm the same person everywhere, but it's Jill Wise because Jill Wise costs a lot of money. Like the domain. (laughs) But if I added that on the first part, then no works. Yeah, it's jillwise.com. It's jillwise on Instagram. Look for her everywhere. And YouTube. And that's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit Apple Podcasts to leave your review of the show. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better, copy and make more money. Kira and Rob.